to the Carry On Podcast. This is your host, Lindsay Rowland. Today we are here with Steve Moon. Steve is an independent film director. He started writing, producing, and directing independent films in 2000. His latest film, Out of the Fight, is the focus of our podcast today. This film takes us on the journey of U.S. Sergeant Jason Pate, a fictional character who, after three tours in Afghanistan, returns home to combat PTSD and suicidal thoughts while trying to readjust to family life. Steve worked with over 200 families to help tell this story accurately, a story that is all too troubling and familiar for the veterans of the OIF OEF wars. Thank you, Steve, for being here today. Uh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. So yeah, you're very welcome. So could we start out a little bit about yourself and how you got um, into, into uh, films? Uh, sure. Yeah. The long story short is, um, in college, you know, they say college is not for everybody. You know, I was, I was always smart. I was always creative and maybe that was where the two didn't mix very well. Cause I was always a writer. Even in the first grade, I wrote a book. This is way back when, in the first grade in the seventies, I wrote a book called salt and pepper that I think is still in my elementary school library. So I wrote, uh, and in college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in, but I knew it was something creative. So I ended up being a graphic design art major, which art was a disaster, graphic design, not so well, but writing was, was always my gift. And every time uh, people would come into our classes for our critiques from my gad agencies, they'd be like, this guy's a writer, this guy's a writer. So I did a lot of praying, a lot of soul searching. I just didn't know what to do with it. And so, um, Honestly, I, I kind of wanted to be a pastor, but I just, I still, you know, without the right guidance and somebody pushing you. So long story short, which is too late for that, is around uh, 95 or 96, I uh, started writing scripts and I started looking for agents. So I had about nine different agencies in Los Angeles and I'm in Birmingham, Alabama, but I about nine dis- different agents representing my work. So fast forward to about 96 or 97, I think it was 1997, there was a movie called Firestorm starring Howie Long that came out. And that was a movie about smoke jumpers. Well, I love history. Everything that I write has some kind of history, some kind of significance to actual events. So when I went to go see it, it was done more of an action film, but I was with my then wife, I'm remarried now, which is not really crucial to the story except for that part. but she was like, yeah, that's that's your movie. They even used some of my characters' nicknames. So they pretty much made an action film out of a drama. Mine, if I had been the director, I would have done it more like a Kevin Costner-type film, which is kind of a little bit longer and drawn out and gets more into uh, the history of things. So I tried to sue. I had uh, the Writers Guild of America gave me three different entertainment lawyers pro bono. And they're like, who are you going to sue? You can't prove who did this. It could have been the janitor, for all we know, that took your script out of the garbage can, you know. Obviously, that's far-fetched, but we didn't know who to sue. So they said either get into the business by moving out to L.A. or networking with independent filmmakers. Fast forward to 1999, 2000, um, I end up meeting with um, Kimberly Pierce, the director of Boys Don't Cry, and her director of photography. We had a conference call, and they gave me some tips on how to produce independent films, which is basically... Find people with gear and give them a part in your movie and you make a movie and you get your name out there, which worked because my first movie, horrible movie. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew how to edit. I knew how to write. I knew how to direct, but I didn't know how to make it all marry together. So I made a movie called Under the Sidewalk Moon, which was a lot of fun, but a learning experience. And the liaison from the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival, which is a long title, um, is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And she happened to find me online because I had a premiere of my movie in Tuscaloosa at the Bama Theater. So now she introduces me to people in the business. She hooks me up with a red carpet event. Um, People like George Clooney, Jennifer Aniston, Chris Rock, people like there, uh, introduced me to producers and they all said the same thing, just keep working, keep working. So I just kept producing independent films while I had my day job. And since 2008, I've been doing this full time. I help bring movies to the state of Alabama. Um, I help produce films. I produce films. I help um, with uh, visual effects. I have a company that I help run out of India that does um, visual effects on like all the major movies, but I'm able to help the independent filmmakers because we can charge them less than obviously we charge the studios. So that's how it all happens. It's really a miracle. 
So how did you start uh, focusing on, or where did you get the idea for the film um, Out of the Fight? Um, self-serving, I'm not in the military. Uh, my dad's in the military, but self-serving, I've had suicide in my family. My, my sister's uh, husband committed suicide in 04, which was when my divorce was, and that's when I went through a major depression and was suicidal over the years. Um, I will share this part. Uh, my, my depression came from not seeing my children. I, I don't want to bash my ex, but the only way to say it will conclude, give you the conclusion that, wow, she's really mean to you. Uh, but I have two daughters. I now have a stepdaughter and stepson. But I had two daughters. They were seven and four at the time. Uh, this was 2004, 2005. Fast forward to when they're both 18, well, 18, but then consecutively when Abby turned 18. I've seen my daughters less than 300 days over the course of seven and four to 18. And then she moved out, then 18 again. So less than a year and just begging and losing every single time in court and doing everything right. And, you know, I mean, because I, I didn't want the divorce, you know, she, she found somebody else. So I'm saying, and I did not, and play, you can edit that part out. Um, but I, I didn't want the divorce. I was, I was, I was true. I was honest. Whatever you want to say about that. Um, God, see, you can't say it without bashing her. So anyway, I was, I was depressed over not seeing my kids and wanting to see them all the time. And just, you know, she knew that all I ever wanted to do was be a dad and she knew I was a good dad. But every time we go to court, she would say, Oh, he can see them whenever he wants to. He just doesn't want to. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, I'm sitting here begging and crying and I'm, you know, I can't see my kids. So I started writing a script called The Other Parent. And then I was like, you know what? That's too self-serving. This is, I, I can't do this. I need to make this bigger than me. So um, Judy Norton from the TV show, The Waltons is a friend of mine. She and I worked together years ago on a project. And I was like, you want to write a project together? And she's like, sure. So um, I decided to make it about veteran suicide because so many of my friends from high school and thanks to Facebook, we're still friends or friends again, uh, went into the military. Most of them didn't go to college, uh, but they all went to the military and they all shared some form of depression. And so I started talking to them like, well, look, military suicide is big. So I partnered up with like Mission 22, We Are the Mighty, TAPS and nonprofit organizations like that. And uh, they say, create your website and we'll share it with other families. So then all of a sudden we were getting emails and Facebook messages and everything in the world you can imagine from families that have lost loved ones, sons, daughters, whatever, husbands, wives. There's nothing that really connects them all except for the suicide. It's, it's anybody, white, black, it doesn't matter. So they started telling me their stories because I was telling them what I was writing. And I met a lady named Leanna Lewis out of Colorado. And that's loosely who the character Jason Pate is based on because she was telling me everything about her husband. And what I noticed is this the same story from everybody. There was never one particular incident that happened to anybody. There was never, oh, well, my husband or my daughter saw this, and therefore they came home and they weren't the same. So that's how it started. So about 200 families later and about two or three years later worth of writing and then going after investment, stuff like that, um, I, I just knew that that was so much bigger than me, that this is just something that everybody goes through. Because we all know somebody in the military. I mean, you can't meet somebody down the street. You go to the grocery store and you're going to meet somebody in the military and you're going to meet somebody that has a story. So that's where that came from. Well, yeah. And also just a side on that, I think too, it's hard when you have suicide, because like you just said, there isn't one, it, there isn't usually one event that it occurs from. And then it's so hard. And that makes it so hard for the people around you to understand, you know, how to prevent it or how to help that person that is going through these things. And so, um, that just makes it this makes it harder to help your family member exactly so you talk to over what 200 families and then you kind of focus in on like 50 different stories or how how many families did you end up um talking to yeah it was definitely over 200 families and we're talking families all every state every state is going i have a list i have a spreadsheet that says these are the cities uh and surprisingly like <clears throat> some of the smaller cities have several veterans that have committed suicide um jacksonville alabama small little town had three excuse me one second i'm out here with all the pollen <laughs> so anyhow so um even though like cities like houston and dallas they have 
several also, but when you see a, a town maybe the size of 50,000 people and you have three suicides, you know, this is serious. We need to take this thing seriously. So the reason why I was narrowed down to the 50 is because of the 200, roughly 50, probably maybe closer to 75, but I just say 50 so I can underestimate it. It was the same story. It was just absolutely the same story. He wasn't the same. She wasn't the same. Out of the other ones, uh, the other ones maybe saw some particular events or, you know, was like that a little bit going into the military. Um, like the parents may have seen signs and they said, well, the military might might help you. But for the most part, it, it was just everybody shared, like I said, just the same story. And it was easier to write that way. Now, did they now was this like an interview that you did with them on the phone or is this like they say you a written piece or how did how did they share these stories with you? Because I, I feel um, like they can be very intense and, and dramatic. Uh, a lot of it was phone calls because uh, everything started on Facebook. And then when they would message me, I'd give them my phone number and I give them my email also. Uh, but a lot was also, I'd say half and half phone calls and emails, because if somebody had a big story, uh, like, all right, I will say this. Everything that you see in the film is actual. Everything, we just tied some things together, but nothing's really fictional. The only fictional part in there without giving anything away is when Jason Pate meets Barry um, in the support group meeting. In real life, those two never met, probably never will have met. Um, but I thought for the story and to make it a little more cohesive, let's just make them friends. But what you saw with Barry, that really happened. What you saw with Pate, that really happened. They just they just didn't know each other. Um, I'm sorry, what was your question there? <laughs> I forgot too, because I was um, I was interested in what you were saying, because I was actually thinking about that. So they weren't supposed, because like in the real story, they never met, but you had them meet so that you could tell the story of them both at the same time. Is that kind of what and, I'm getting? Yeah, all right, that, yeah, that, that was the question, um, because you were asking about the email. So people would email me, this is what happened. This is what was going on. Or when my husband came home or my wife came home, this is what they told me. And some people may have had it in their journals. I, I don't know, but they had the vivid memory. Like <clears throat> um, he was walking down and I'm not going to say anything else, but that really happened. So I have pages and pages of emails where we'd go back and forth. And say, well, give me the dialogue that your husband would have used. How would he have responded? <clears throat> and I would use literally what they told me. This is what happened. So yeah, back to what you were just saying. Those two events did really happen, but they just did not meet. So for the ease of the story, otherwise people would say, well, wait, you're telling two different stories. You're now telling Barry's story, but but what does that have to do with Jason? And when we watch a movie, sometimes that can be a little discombobulated, if that's a real word. So you want to keep everything cohesive. But again, everything you saw was was actual. How long did it take you to develop this character? And just so our listeners know, I, I did watch the film. It was absolutely amazing. And we can talk a little bit more about the film in a, in a second. But how did you, well, it was also a very powerful film. Um, but how did you, and how long did it take you to develop that, to develop his character? Because it was very well developed. Oh, you said it was or was it? it oh, no, it was, it was very developed. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because when you're writing when you're when you're writing just like fiction the characters develop as you go um i was doing an interview i think it was yesterday or the day before and somebody had asked me a similar style question about writing and i can start any normal script and i think in my head okay this is how it's going to end but then the characters become organic and it's all of a sudden it, it's not what steve the writer would do would be what Joe character would do. So it changes, but this was so different. And, and on a side note, it even works that way in real life. Um, I've worked with other actors, not that I've directed, but I've worked with other actors and I've seen characters that uh, John Travolta would play. And he would say, well, hold on, hold on. I think my character would do this. And he'll talk to the director while we're filming. So I'm picking up on things on set, even when it's not my show, we call them shows, not movies. So if it's not my show, I'm still learning these things. Like, okay, we allow the character to develop himself. All right, so back to your question is Leanna, uh, Leanna Lewis was really helping me. We would talk all the time while I was writing it and uh, Judy would help. She would like tighten things up for me um, because Judy's been in the business for decades, but it was easy to develop him because of Leanna. She would tell me this is what my husband was doing. <laughs> so 
I, I kind of would do that and I would just read what other people were saying and I would just I would like try to find that common thing that they all have in common because I, I don't want to say too much but like a lot of them became alcoholics a lot of them became pill poppers but when you start to develop a character or a story you can flood them with too much information and all of a sudden he's drinking every time you see him or he's popping pills so you have to be subtle so going just back and forth and this was what was so sensitive is now i'm talking to those 50 families and i'm like okay this is where the story's going i mean emailing them script back and forth and it just had to be subtle so it was really just everybody pitching in and saying okay don't overdo this part or maybe you undersold it on this part um but allow um, allowed the person to be that person and that's where randy wayne the actor came in and i have to come back to another remind me to come back to um jordan jude but randy wayne the actor just absolutely became this guy and so a lot of the things that you see that he did it would be like i'm not even going to tell you what to do i'll tell you how to I'll, I'll tell you what to um say that we need in the script or in the story but as far as your reactions those have to be organic because going to the technical side of acting acting is reacting acting is honesty and i think he found the honesty of that character and i also think he found the honesty of the character because jordan jude who played his wife emily she nailed it she, she did she did nail oh it. my gosh I randy nothing against you i love you brother but no jordan she was so good she was my favorite character obviously in the um she was she just well, was wonderful she i don't think she could have portrayed it any more accurate than the reality she uh do i have time for a quick story about that you have plenty of time tell me a okay. story so she was the first person to audition when we were writing out the script and everything and didn't really see the entire script we gave her what's called sides she read her sides i'm like this is her this is i guess technically this is she but that's the girl this is the one that i want so i looked at some others we probably looked at maybe gosh maybe 80, 75 or 80 other uh, auditions, but I always came back to her, but I knew from the beginning she was Emily because I've been talking to Leanna for so long. So then I introduced them, I think, because I introduced her to some people and, um, and she studied the character, but there's one scene that I won't say the scene, I'll just say where it ends. It ends with her sitting on the bed. And after that scene, uh, the house we were filming in was a really small house and where Video Village, Video Village is where we set up all the monitors so that the director and the sound guy, not the sound guy, but the director, um, script supervisor, people will look at the monitor and watch what's going on. Um, and some of the other crew sometimes gets invited to Video Village. Anyway, so when it was all over, she said, don't let anybody in this room keep them in Video Village. And she called me into that room and I sat down on the couch next to her and Jordan grabbed my hand and started crying and they say you know we're crying together and two things she said thank you for letting me find emily thank you for letting me become and finding the voice they call it the voice in the acting and it's not the voice that you hear it's the voice that you feel it's the soul it's the honesty and she was just like because we did that in one take and um and, I, and the second one was just you know thank you for letting me be a part of the film which was neither here nor there but but for her to bring a voice of all the wives, because that is, and, and, and I don't want to get into this yet, but the spousal support is 90% of the solution. 90%. I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not a veteran, but my, my wife now, I've known her my whole life. She, uh, with power of prayer, prayer, power of God, and just the power of just her just being there. And Emily brought that. Anyway, all right. So there you go, Jordan. That's for you. No, and I agree with you on that. And I was, I thought about that too when I was watching the film. I was like, he, he is very lucky that she stood by him. Not that you know he deserves to not be stood by, but he was very lucky that she did stand by him because she did go through a lot of things with him. And but she was always there for him, and she was always supportive to him. And I think a lot of veterans don't have that. Exactly, and we ran into that also. For the most part, everybody stood together. There were some situations where people would say, well, uh, I know somebody whose wife left them and I didn't really want to talk and interview those people. But from the stories that I heard is where I really wanted to focus more on let Emily just be there. Because when you get married, you get married. Love, love is a verb. You know, love is not just emotion. Love is a verb. It's a commitment. 
and, which I think is a mound. But anyway, <laughs> love is just is always moving. It's always evolving. And if you get better for married for better for worse, I don't care what your worst is. That's why on my first marriage, you know, you 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 get through the worst. You know, I, I'm here. I forgive. You know, that's the worst. We'll get through it. And I think when spouses start to see, well, my life has changed because there's that scene with her at the bar with uh with Mr. Baylor mm-hmm. where feel selfish and that was what some of the spouses were going through why do I feel so selfish that my life is changing I can't complain about that because I didn't see what he saw I didn't live that life that he lived and yeah I knew that going into it but now suddenly I feel selfish that it's not what it used to be well guess what it doesn't matter if you're in the military or not after a few years of marriage it's not the same anyway so you have to constantly work at it no matter if it's you know, PTSD, or if it's, you know, uh, I lost my job, you still have to be there. So I do want to talk a little bit about, I know I've listened to some of your other podcasts and you don't like to go into the storyline too much, but I would like to talk about it a little bit because I think that's what important. So that veterans that are, are having issues like these or veterans that would like to help family members do watch it and take the time to watch it. But what are you hoping out of the storyline and what are you hoping to, to portray to your audience? To portray to the audience? Um, hope. Hope. And, and that might be kind of cliche uh, because it's honesty. It's real. Um, I want the audience to see that it's not taboo to talk about it, that you don't need to hide it. I think in the military, and this is, again, I'm not military, but I think in the military, you're told to hide your emotions. You know, this is, you know, if somebody gets killed in your unit, you still have to go, you still have to fulfill the mission. And I think that when you get home, the mission you have to fulfill is getting yourself right, getting your head right, getting your heart right. And I I think when you just have the hope, because there's not going to be any one particular solution and we had some distributors that we were talking to up front because a lot of times, in, well, most of the time in film, you want to talk to your distributors up front so you can give them what they want. But they all wanted the Hollywood ending. They wanted the Hollywood ending that all of a sudden there's this miracle cure out there that he's fine and dandy. But I told him I couldn't do that. I don't care if it costs me every theater in America or the world. I'm not going to release a film that gives a fake, not a false hope, but a fake hope to anybody because there's not one miracle cure. I mean, I mean, miracles happen every day, but there's not that one miracle cure. So it's the hope. It's the fact that you can come home and your wife or your husband will be there. Your mom and your dad will be there. You just have to see it. And uh, my favorite line came from um, Chris Molnax that played Officer Randy Mitchell. He's local, but he's been working in a lot of films lately. He's been working with uh, Robert De Niro. I think he worked with Al Pacino. He's really doing well. I love Chris. Um, so there's my shout out to Chris, but Randy Mitchell is also based on somebody that's true, but he came up with a scene. Uh, we filmed it just some trivia. We filmed the, the truck scene where they're in the truck in the parking lot of the Highlander grocery store in Hueytown, Alabama on a Sunday night when they were closed. And uh, it was a beautiful night. And uh, that's also the grocery store we filmed in. But they went inside the grocery store because uh, we had access to it. And um they came up with that part of the scene. I already had the scene written what I wanted, but Molnax comes up to me and he calls me Moon. That's my last name. And Molnax, I will not do, I will not sound like you. I will not do an impression of Chris Molnax. But he was like, Moon, do you mind if we do da-da-da-da? I'm like, all of a sudden my mouth just drops. I'm like, that, he's like, I think you'll like it. Oh, I'm starting to sound like, all right, I think you'll like it. I'm like, I, I'm going to love it. So the part where he says, you don't have to say anything. All you have to do is listen. Is listen. Yes. And I was, wow. And everybody was like, wow. And, that, and that's the thing. All you have to do is listen. You know, it goes back to like when you're being raised and you listen to your mom and your dad, you don't want to hear it, but you just listen and you don't have to share anything that you went through because you know what? They already know that. That's why you're in these support group meetings and your wife, even though she wasn't there, she knows you well enough to know, I'm just going to be there. I'm going to listen. And it doesn't have to be, uh, I'm going to confess everything that I did or everything I saw. And then somebody listened to a confessional. It's just, you know, let's just talk. Let's just talk, whatever happens. And that's where TAPS comes in is because TAPS is an organization that sends 
I think they send members of the same unit. If not, they try to get close to it. And they send them out to like Northern California or in the mountains or in the woods. And they get, send them out on, on a three-day weekend. And say, so just talk about anything. Encourage each other. Just do whatever it is that you guys do and just listen to each other. And it can be anything from, hey, I watched a football game last night. Did you guys see it? Or it could be, hey, this happened to me while I was overseas. There's just, it's just listen. So anyway, I, I, I'm rambling now. But yeah, it's just, it's just listen. So is that what you were trying to portray in those meetings? Um, that those were those were uh, simulating like tap meetings or because I was I was thinking about because I you know I have PTSD too and I also um, have suffer from depression um, but I was wondering where like do they have those groups openly available to veterans or is that something that you kind of had to create the scene to promote the idea in the movie well all right I'm glad you asked that um, taps does have those meetings um we, we didn't do everything that we wanted to to recognize TAPS because a lot of the organizations support the movie. That's why they, we give them thanks and the credits, but they didn't want their names used in the film. So you couldn't say this is sponsored by TAPS. But we got that idea from TAPS because TAPS has flyers that they send out or that you can hand out. And they have former members like Randy Mitchell that if you come across somebody, invite them to our meetings um, but the flyers and the meetings that get you to go to those weekend retreats, those are specific. And I wish I could have gotten this a little bit more specific, but I was honoring taps, but by not talking about that, but Mullinax's character, the reason why he gets Randy to go at the end of the movie is, and again, without giving anything away is because when you're at that stage, that's when, okay, these meetings are great. And they're working, but when, when you when you see a red flag, and, and these guys will see a red flag, that's when they get them to go to these retreats. And, um, and so, the, yeah, so that's why we did that. So that is absolutely based on uh, what, what's going on today. Okay, thank you for clarifying. And then also I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. You said that Hollywood had wanted to change the film and you had made sure that you kept it on um, the path that it ended up being on. And I also, I just wanted to comment on that. And I think that that's very important because veterans are a hard crowd to please, I would imagine, um, um, especially if you're going to make a film about them because you hear people watch films all the time or documentaries and they're like, well, that's not real. That's not really how it happened. So I do think that with you doing that and keeping it real, because when you do, when you do a PTSD and you do go through depression and you do have things like this, like, you know, how it feels. And for someone to paint a rosy picture around it, you can really turn your audience off. So I just exactly. wanted to say that I, I, I did like that, how it felt real. It felt like this is, and, and when, you know, with PTSD and depression, it doesn't go away. Like you don't start take you don't start going to a meeting or you don't start taking medication or you don't move and your life just changes. It's it's something that you will deal with the rest of your life. So it's in how you deal with it. So exactly, exactly. Um, I don't know if you want me to respond to that. Or... No, please go ahead. I just I was just commending you because there's so many films that you're just like you watch it and you get to the end and you're like, okay, well, yeah, that's cool that that happened, but that's not how it really is, and that doesn't give me going back to you're talking about hope, but that doesn't give me a lot of hope because that's not my reality and that's really not reality in general. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I'll sidestep here real quick. It's like my depression. My daughter is now 24 uh, and my other daughter is now 20. My 24-year-old is estranged from me. I love her. I would do anything in the world for her. But um, there is what's called parental alienation. It's, it really exists. You know, it's like PTSD. And you can raise a child not to like the other parent. And that's, um, we have, a, I, I, have I have two grandchildren. One is a daughter, one a granddaughter, one is a grandson. Um, had a stroke four years ago, uh, right before another film. I was working on a minor stroke, but um, I have trouble retrieving words. I have you know, balance issues and things like that. But all that said is I've seen my granddaughter, who's now four, four times, and she's four years old. I've not seen my grandson, and I think he's three months old. And um, since Carly was 16, she's now 24. I've seen her nine times. Because thanks to the way courts work, they're like, well, she's 16. She's old enough now. She doesn't have to come every other weekend. She can come whenever she wants to. Well, that was their way of 
of I don't want to have to see him anymore. So nine times since she was 16 has destroyed me. Uh, fortunately, my other daughter, Abby, and I are close, and she's doing well in college, and Carly's happily married, which I'm happy for that. But I talked to my other daughter, which is great, and I support her and pay for her um, apartment while she's in school and all that. But, yeah, the depression doesn't go away. It's just, you know, maybe the, the level of it or the decisions that you want to make because of it are different. But now going back to the whole Hollywood thing, and I'll, I'll just briefly mention this, is they're like, well, what you need is you need more explosions, and what you need is you need, uh, he's got a daughter, so you need him to relate to a daughter maybe in a village in Afghanistan. And then let's let's have the ending where he goes back to Afghanistan and um, the daughter, maybe the daughter is strapped with a bomb and or, or the, the one that reminds him of his daughter. And he has to make a decision. Uh, here she's coming, walking up to his unit and there's somebody over here with a cell phone. So let's snipe him and let's take the bomb off her. Justin, wow, really? How many, what movie did you see that you love that was accurate, does that really happen in? You know, maybe there are some situations, extreme situations, but first of all, the movie wasn't about extreme situations. It's about the real life that 99% of them live that are over there. Um, so that was, that was some Hollywood options. And then Judy and I, of course, talked about how we can reel some of those in. Uh, and then we decided, you know what, let's, no, let, let's, let's let this be their story completely, make it organic. And I will say this, so that so, so that covers that. But I'm glad you said this about it being accurate because we're averaging, I think, 4.7 out of five stars on um, Amazon Prime, I think, or who? Ooh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. We're getting messages from the families because the families are sharing it on Facebook with everybody. And I also want to say this. Um, obviously, you're listening to this um, uh, podcast audience. Uh, you, are, you are listening. Share if we can somehow post a link, we want 100,000 families watching this, military families and non-military families, because their goal is to make this non-taboo. Let's make this something that anybody can talk about. It's no longer, it's like pattern baldness. No, you're bald. Let's just talk about this. It's no longer a taboo subject. So um, anyway, so I sidetracked there. So now let's go back to what I was talking about, the accuracy. We did have one person that in the industry said, well, your, your, your gun battles, uh, the, the guns weren't loud enough. Well, in Hollywood and post-production, you're going to post in sounds of guns to make it sound louder. It's going to just be more vibrant, more just vicious. And Hey, it's a shootout. Let's make it loud. Those were actual, um, blanks that were in the gun. I have an armor out of Mobile, Alabama, Eric, Adrian, what's up? Anyhow, so they brought in all the guns, all the weapons, all the ammunition, obviously not live rounds. Um, but the dummy rounds that were in there were the, 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 again, I can't find the word right there, but the volume, the sound was accurate. So we just recorded as if it were documentary and you were in there and you're hearing the actual gun. So we didn't want to put in loud bangs and loud gunshots because that's not real if you had a camera and you were filming these guys and i will say this all of the battle scenes were combat veterans i um i didn't really direct those scenes i coordinated the scenes i'm like okay vice versa i directed but i had the uh, veterans coordinate the scenes i'm like do what you would do in the battlefield i'm not going to write anything all we have to do is this has to happen which you saw that happen but it has to be done the way you guys would do it so my, um, oh, give me a minute and I'll find the word. Uh, it's consultant. So my consultant from Mississippi was a combat veteran and he was in he was in those scenes also. And he's like, this is what would happen. So we rehearsed it a few times and then I got both camera guys in there. My director of photography, Joe Walker. Um, and, and we shoot it the way it would have been shot and we record the audio the way it would have been shot and the veterans loved it. They were like, that's, that's as real as it gets. So the the, the audience people that aren't veterans are like, oh, you should have done this and done this. No, that doesn't happen. We're going to keep this honest. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for the insight on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so as far as um, I know you talked about earlier, you're trying to provide hope for families, but but as far as like the veteran community or uh, veteran service organizations using this film, like how would you like to see them use it um, to affect change? Uh, 
camaraderie maybe camaraderie um because because i do think it depicts everything from a to z and the things in between that they go through now obviously there's going to be more extreme situations there might be more oh uh, well you know my husband was a raging alcoholic or my wife you know was quitting all of her jobs or whatever but i think we we generalized and were specific at the same time that i would love the veterans just to share it among themselves so they can talk about it and say yeah i remember the time that um I reacted the same way Jason would have, or I wish I would have done what um, uh, what Chris Bond, what Officer Mitchell. I wish I would have listened or just gone to one of these events uh, or, or one of the um, meetings because I think I think it just shows that the hope is in those options and maybe families. Because again, it's not just men; it's women also. We did have one comment where. They had hoped that I had showed more women that were involved in um, depression and PTSD. But when you watch the support group meetings, guess what? Those are all veterans. I will say that everybody in those support group, except for the two actors, um, everybody that gave a testimony was an actual testimony. And when the girl gave her testimony uh, and was talking about the dentist, the whole gymnasium got quiet. And we called cut. I, I was like whispering. I said, cut. And we just kind of walked over and laid our hands on her. And just so all, all that was real. So I, I again, to answer your question without bouncing all around it is I would love the veterans and their families just to spread the message and say, this is no longer taboo. This is how I felt. Instead of this is what I went through. This is how I felt. And, uh, and I think it'll start making an impact. It's already making an impact. I'm just, I want to make a global impact now. So for our listeners, they tell us exactly how we can find this and what, um, where we can find you at on Facebook and your other social media platforms. Okay. Well, I am not very technically savvy. Um, so, uh, veterans are though, so we can find yeah, you. Yeah. All <laughs> right. Um, well, they can find me on Facebook. I don't have Twitter. I don't know how any of that other stuff works. So I'm Steve Moon. You'll see Carly, my then 16-year-old, but now 24-year-old, uh, with her arms around me. I went to UAB, so that's how you can find Steve Moon. Um, for Out of the Fight, it's Out of the Fight Movie, I think is how it's listed, but you can, uh, on Facebook, but mm -hmm. you can find that. You can find Out of the Fight on IMDB, which stands for Internet Movie Database, uh, and all the other films that I've worked on. Um you can message me anytime to watch the movie. You can watch it. Let me make sure I get this right. You can do it on your Xbox. You can do it on Amazon Prime. You can do it on iTunes, uh, Vudu, maybe Hulu, and I believe there's a few other outlets that you can watch it. But I think most people have that. Um, you can Google it if you want to watch the trailer. You can go to YouTube and type in Out of the Fight trailer. Or you can just type it on Google and it'll lead you to the trailer. And it might tell you where you can watch it also. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where you can watch it. And again, share it with everybody. The goal is 100,000 people. Right now, Latin America is interested in the film and they want to buy it. Uh, parts of Europe want to buy it. So it's it's now it's getting that global attention that we want. Awesome. And yeah, those just... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say those. That, we've got some wind, and those are my kayaks that just fell. So if you ever want to come meet me and go kayaking with me, let's go to that. Um, I did want to say though. Um, I do want to thank you though for for the film because I personally found it, um, a very powerful film, and I do hope our listeners take the time to watch it. I will say though that. Um, it gets a little bit hard to get through at times because it is so real. So I mean, you know. Um, it depends on how you watch things, if you need to watch them in, in parts, but very powerful film. So thank you. Um, thank you from a veteran. I, I appreciate it. And I just before I let you go, I wanted to know what what is in the future for you? What projects are you currently working on? Oh, wow. OK, so I told you earlier, I like history. Um, I, I do some projects in between. I just got through working with Michael Perret. He was in Streets of Fire. He was awesome. Eddie. He's an amazing guy. Uh, we want to work together again, so I, I do projects in between. I'm, uh, let's see, the ones I can talk about is I'm trying to raise the money right now for one called Heaters, H-E-A-T-E-R-S. Uh, a heater is basically um, 
a 12 to 14 year old child that is like immediately about to be abducted into the sex trade industry. So the FBI, uh, I'm working with the Chicago task force on that. Uh, they were the ones that told me it's called a heater. So they're literally watching these perverts online. And when these guys are getting ready to go meet this girl at the park or meet this little boy at the park and say, hey, yeah, I'm going to make you famous. You're going to be the next, you know, child actor, YouTuber, or whatever they're called. Um, and they're like, we got to go get this girl because if we don't get her now. If, if you don't get the girls, mainly, the guys are in there too. If you don't get the girls, if, if you don't rescue the girls, before 12 or 13 that are about to be abducted, you'll never see them again because most of them don't live to be 19. So we're trying to raise the money for heaters so we can raise the awareness that that um, the child, I call it child because they're kids, you know, they're 13, 14 years old. The industry is just, it's real and it happens in every town and I want to expose that. I want to show that this is, this is going on and we need to do that. Super Bowl weekend is the biggest weekend for human trafficking and it's NFL players. They have NFL players that they can't arrest because they can't give them a bad name and they get by with, you know, I don't want to get into that. So there's that one. But the one that I'm most excited about is Bastogne. Bastogne was the battle that took place in Bastogne, France, 1944. The Americans were surrounded by seven roads. All the roads have been cut by the Germans. We were out of ammunition. We were out of food. We had no clothes. We had no nothing. All we had is the will and the passion to win. So for 16 days, even though my film takes place, I think in the last latter 13 days, but for six or the last 13 days, but for 16 days, Americans fought off the Germans in an, uh, you talk about a miracle, in an unwinnable situation. And they called that the turning point to the war in Europe. And that's what led to the victory in Europe was the Battle of Bastogne. And that gives me chills just thinking about it. So Michael Perry is on board with that. He wants to play General McAuliffe. Um, we are casting this with basically actors that look like the actual people that were in the Battle of Bastogne to keep it inside, kind of like Band of Brothers. Uh, so Bastogne, um, as soon as we close the financing on that, we'll be shooting it, which could be could be the end of the year. It could be a year or two from now because financing uh, takes a while. And then there's a couple, of, a couple of other projects that I'm not allowed to mention because of the names attached to them. That's, you know, we can't talk about those. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on. And then a little movie called Diamond about a 1970s era fictional uh, rock star, kind of like the movie The Rose, Matt Midler. Uh, getting ready to shoot that just in between the bigger projects. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting projects coming up, so we'll have to keep Thank an eye you. on you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, 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 please do. Uh, 3.3 Miles is getting ready to come out. Uh, that's the one that had Michael Perry in it. So um, when the time comes, maybe we can do something with 3.3 Miles and maybe you interview him instead of me. No, definitely, definitely. You'll have to let me know. Um, is there anything else before we close out that you wanted to add about the film? Did I miss anything? Uh, no, I will. You know, I think you can tell right now that um, very religious, very spiritual. I know how God opens doors. People say, well, miracles don't happen. Yeah, you may never see the Red Sea parted. You might, if you believe it, if you have the faith to move mountain, maybe we would see the Red Sea parted. But the miracle is this. This is what I said, I want to say behind the scenes if I have time. We were filming the first three days while we were raising the funds for the rest of the movie. And so we were filming at this house. The house, the main house, was in a town called Hueytown, Alabama, in Birmingham on the western part. So we were filming. Yeah, I can say all this. All right, so we were filming in that house. And so that was when we had Jordan. So we filmed most of Jordan's scenes in the house. We didn't have the character yet for her husband, for, uh, for um, Jason Pate. So I, that, was in, that was in August when we were filming that of whatever year that was, I think two years ago. So then... <laughs> excuse me, I start working on a couple of other films that came to Birmingham while we're waiting on the rest of the money. So then I have an investor that says, well, how much do you need? I told him this is what I need. He said, okay, let me make this happen for you. So on one of the films I was working on, I met Randy Wayne. I said that, and I was talking to my assistant, Brianna. And I was like, Brianna, that, that's Jason Pate. So we started talking to him. I started talking to their producer. Hey, am I allowed to talk to him? I've got another project. It looks like we have the money. So literally we wrapped that on like a Friday and we started shooting mine the next week. But, and that was around April, I believe. 
So now I have to make a phone call about the house. And this is where the miracle happens. The house has been bought by the Board of Education and is getting ready to be demolished so that the city of Hueytown Middle School can have a parking lot or something else. I'm like, when are they going to demolish? They said Tuesday. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. We have to start filming. We can go because now we don't have another interior house that matches, and we've already filmed this part. So when we go back in there, the refrigerator is gone because somebody had stolen that. Somebody had looted the beautiful white cast iron <coughs> sink, so that's gone. And they had taken out the French door. Somebody had stolen that. But the way God works is we had already filmed everything that direction. All we needed to film was the reverse. So everything else in the house was still there. <coughs> everything else worked except for the French doors were in the little girl, the daughter Savannah's bedroom. So my production designer, Jim, she put up a um, little sheet wall kind of thing that looks like kind of curtains. And that covers where those doors were. And nobody, you can look at it right now. And, and even on IMDb where you can go in and put like, trivia and say okay that door didn't match the way it was the first time i still don't think you'll catch it knowing what we had to go through but there's one scene where he walks in and the refrigerator is gone and then there's another scene where it's there the way we did that was when he's in the car he said what happened to the refrigerator and she says uh well mr baylor's that's why that's why we that's right no wait that. let me see if i can remember what she says she said that somebody's coming to fix it right mr baylor Mr. Baylor's coming to, yeah. Yeah, so that was added after the fact because the refrigerator's gone and we couldn't find one that matched it. And so it also tied in well, because we're sitting in the car, all three of us, Emily, me, and um, and Randy, Emily, I said the character, Emily and Pate and me are all thinking, what, what can we say? And he's like, well, I'm not there to fix things. And it bothers me that Mr. Baylor's raising me. All right, so it's bothered me that you know, Mr. Baylor's around. So why not ask me? that and it worked and oh and that's worked. exactly what it portrayed too because you could see that look on his face he was just like pissed that like he wasn't able to like do an easy job for his wife in the house and it kind of like fueled the fire <laughs> well let's see randy i may give you away on this one randy may have just been pissed anyway because it had been raining that whole day and i'm like <laughs> we're gonna make our day let's just go shoot something steve so he might have been really mad at me but it, it, it worked <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting yeah. yeah there you go <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And we'll make sure that we um, put out, put all the links out on social media too, when I post this podcast. Awesome. And I do want to say this real quick, Corey Robinson, really without her, this thing couldn't have been completed. Um, she knows what I'm talking about. So Corey, thank you. Absolutely. Cause again, without you, nobody would be watching this film. So um, Corey, she's a great lady. She played uh, Diane in the film. Uh, but she knows what she did. So thank you um, on behalf of everybody that even watched it. You know, thank you, Corey. She's she's a uh, producer behind it. Oh, you know, while while I have still have you, I do have I did have one more question. You remind okay. me with that one. How did you guys? Um, I know. So at the so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, spoil it for our listeners. But like at the end <laughs> of the show, there I'll spoil it. You don't have to do it. But <laughs> at, at the end of the show, there are pictures of soldiers that have committed or died by suicide. So I was kind of just curious how that, I felt like that was very powerful and impactful, also tragic. Um, so I just kind of was wondering how you decided to go with that at the end. Uh, Cause I was doing that regardless the whole time where I'm going to get emotional now is those are not all of the photos, the distributor. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't care if the distributor's listening. You can't have 13 minutes worth because if you go to my Facebook page, you're going to see all of them. It's 13 minutes long of photos of probably, I think it's, uh, I think we end up with 145, that number sounds right, 145 photos. And it ended up being 13 minutes. And, and they said, you can't have 13 minutes worth of credits. And they made us edit those credits down and we had to take some of the photos out so that I'm not an excuse person and I'll own up to everything that I do wrong, but man, that was a battle. And I lost that battle because at the end of the movie, it's supposed to be, you know, I think we ended up with less than 75 at the end of the movie. And it should have been all of them that were all involved. So I've already apologized and explained that to all the families. Cause I think all the families 
uh, have watched it that all the 200 families that were involved. But yeah, it was supposed to it was supposed to be longer than that. So that's probably not the answer you were looking for. But I was always going to recognize that was before I even started writing the film that we're going to put the actual photos with permission from the families and all the families and several one um, agreed. The grandmother, well, I won't say her name, but the grandmother said, I want my grandson in, but the mom said no. And mom obviously has, you know, the authority over that. But, but yeah, it's, uh, please go to the Facebook page, out of the fight Facebook, go to videos, find the longest video. I think it's 13 minutes and 18 seconds. Um, that's one thing about the stroke is I'm still kind of good with, with, I'm not good with math, but I'm good with numbers. Uh, but look at the longest one, and you will see everybody that was involved in this film right there. And if I'm allowed to do a director's cut for like Walmart or anything like that, I am going to put that back in. No yes. way around. Very, yeah, yeah. very impactful. Oh, very. And yeah. And oh, I'll say this too. To the mom in Santa Clarita, California. Um, she lost two of her sons, or only two sons, two years apart for the same thing. Uh, I think the San Diego Chargers did something for her during like a halftime event. Uh, all right, I'll say this. If you have, if you have veterans in your town, if you have a radio station that you can give me the contact to, if you have contacts to like national news organizations, where I can get on because I do want the national exposure. I'm working with, um, with oh, it's not Miami Heat. It's a city of Florida. I can't think of it right now because I can't retrieve words. But there's a basketball team that recently did something from for one of my parents who lost his son. And his son happened to be one that we had to cut. And he watched it and was like, what happened? So I explained that to him. But I think what an opportunity it would have been, done, been during the halftime show of the basketball game to show on the big screen because that's what they did for his son on the big screen they just rolled roll this little loop of of his son and photos and things like that they recognized him and to recognize a film that recognized his son would have been so impactful so that's another reason that i sound not really bitter i'm just upset that we didn't we didn't what looks like keep our end of the bargain but yeah so if you have any media contacts that i can talk to if you want it shown in your city or anything like that like I mean, obviously you can see it online, but if you have like a small community theater or church or something that wants like that, we'll, we'll try to work with you and I have to work with my distributor, obviously, but um, get it out there where you can just have a group of people if you want to go see it that way. And how should they contact you via email or via Facebook? I know. Uh, Facebook is a lot easier. Okay. Uh, my, email, my email is fwmoon one like sidewalk moon one at hotmail.com. Do not make fun of me. I still use hotmail. I don't think anyone's making fun of you. I use hotmail too. So there you go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today and we will be in touch soon. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, God bless. Thank you so much. Thank you.